2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's pray. Holy Father, Holy King, with joy, we come to you this morning. Dear Father, we ask that your spirit would empower our brother and elder Josh. God, we thank you for the sound teaching you've given us in this church. We thank you for the heart of this church and how you're changing us and uniting us in your spirit, Lord. Just give us humble hearts to be hearers and doers of your word for your great glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning. This is a kind of message that um, can be a little awkward for the person giving it. Um, so I'm going to try to overcome any awkwardness. I think, I, I think I'm over it. But I want you to know before I get started that this is a message that I have uh, preached to myself all week and uh, will be preaching not only to you but to myself even this morning. I want to talk to you today about the importance of solid biblical, faithful teaching, the preaching of God's word for the good of the church and for the glory of Christ. In our present series on the church, we are looking at what it means to be a local body and what it means to be members of the body, this metaphor that we see in the scriptures, and how we ought to treat one another, how we ought to do life with one another, and the kinds of commitments we ought to make to one another as members of the body. And this morning, I want to call you as members of the body to commit as a church to uphold, support, and honor the preaching of the word. That's, that's the call this morning. Now, notice I didn't say to uphold, honor, and honor the preacher, all right? There's a place for that, where there's a place for honoring one another, where to do that. But this morning, the importance or the emphasis I want to, the place I want to put the emphasis on is on the word of God, the faithful proclamation of God's word. Now, perhaps this sounds somewhat self-serving since I'm a preacher. I'm like, hey, here's what I want you to do today. I want you to commit to upholding and honoring what I do, <laughs> right? That's not my intent or my purpose today. My goal from this text, and I think this, is, this might be the key text in the New Testament that shows this, my goal is to show you the enormous importance of biblical preaching and teaching in God's mind. Because as we grow in Christ-likeness, we, be, we value and we love what he loves more and more. We honor what he honors. And so I want to show you what I think, how I think God feels about preaching, preaching his word. 
And of course, it has an immense benefit to the health and well-being of the church as well. J.C. Ryle, he was a preacher, a bishop in the Church of England in the late 1800s. He said the following. He said, preaching the word is the principal means God has always chosen to use to convert and edify souls. Not the only means, but the principal means. He goes on to say, the brightest days in the church have always been when preaching has been honored. And the darkest days in the church have always been when teaching and preaching is treated as rather unimportant. We want bright days here, right? Amen? We want bright days. We want it bright days here at Real Life Church. You want it for your own soul. You want it for your home. We want it in the church in general. And so let's promote and honor the faithful preaching of God's word. Faithful, biblical preaching demonstrates the heart of Christ for his people. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd. Remember when Jesus said that in John chapter 10? He said, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. The apostle Peter referred to Jesus as the chief shepherd. He's exhorting pastors and elders and he says, the chief shepherd's gonna come and if you're faithful, you're gonna receive an unfading crown of glory from the chief shepherd. Well, Jesus Christ, our shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, cares for his sheep. And what has he done to care for his sheep? Well, he laid his life down. How does he care for us now? Jeremiah 3.15 tells us what God says. This is Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God. He says, and I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and instruction. Shepherds after the heart of Christ who have a desire to feed God's people. That is what Christ gives us. Other things as well, but that's one thing Christ gives us for our health and for our benefit and for our growth in Christ-likeness. Shepherds, pastors who labor to teach and preach. J.I. Packer wrote, faithful preaching is the basic ingredient to faithful pastoring. Faithful preaching is the, is the basic ingredient to faithful pastoring. That's not all pastoring is, but it is the basic ingredient. Do you remember that scene after Jesus rose from the dead in John chapter 21, I believe? Jesus is talking to Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Actually, first he says, do you love me more than these? Right, because Peter thought he did. And Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. And what was Jesus' response to him? Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And then he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know. You know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And then he asked Peter one more time, Peter, do you love me? And of course, Peter at this point is grieved. says, Lord, you know all things. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Who are the sheep of Christ? It's the people Christ laid his life down for and cares for. 
He loves us deeply. He loves us. Remember, there's a scene where Jesus, there's this crowd of people gathered, and it says Jesus had compassion on them. And why? Because they were like wandering sheep without a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, but he has given the church shepherds, under shepherds, of course, under his authority for sure, but shepherds who long to and desire to feed his people through faithful teaching and preaching. So let's look at our text, and I want to draw your attention, again, to the significance of faithful preaching in God's mind. These are God's words that David read for us. I appreciate him having a stand. That would be a good practice to do. These are God's words. So let me read these words again from Paul, just four verses. And I want you to just keep this in mind. This is Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy near the end of Paul's life. Paul is about ready within days or weeks. He's about ready to have his head lopped off for his commitment to Jesus. And this is what's on his heart for his young friend and child in the faith and pastor, Timothy. Here's what Paul said. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when men will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The priority God places on faithful preaching is seen in three things in this passage, at least three things. There's probably more, but at least three things I want to draw your attention to this morning. First, the spiritual realities surrounding the activity of preaching and consequently listening to preaching. Second, the charge itself to preach the word. What does that mean? And third, the urgent reason given to preach the word. So let's just look at these one at a time. First, notice the spiritual realities surrounding preaching in verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, Timothy, I charge you. And then before he gets to the charge, he loads up this charge by saying, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is quite an introduction to the charge, isn't it? I'm going to give you a charge, but let me, just, let me just load it up here, all right? I want you to understand how serious this is. It's quite a buildup. Paul lays out a cascading of spiritual realities that are meant to increase the sense of gravity when God's word is opened and someone presumes to speak on God's behalf. It's a kind of, it's almost like a kind of snowball effect. A small snowball, as it rolls down a snowy mountainside, picks up steam and gets larger and larger. And there's this solemn charge where Paul says one thing after another, these massive spiritual realities that are meant to land upon Timothy, certainly, 
me as a preacher and any preacher, but I think also upon those who are sitting under preaching. So let's think about these. Let's, let's consider phrase by phrase. Paul says, I charge you. Some translations say, I solemnly charge you. I think the New American Standard says, I solemnly charge you. And then he says, in the presence of God. Before the face of God. Of course, we are to live all of our lives, the entirety of our lives before the face of God, in the presence of God. God is always there. He's always watching. He always sees. And as his people, we want to please him at all times. But Paul, but, but Paul puts this charge, or the, he, he reminds Timothy of the spiritual reality of in the presence of God with this solemn charge to preach the word. And I take it to mean that there is a special sense in which God is supervising and watching as his word is being taught and preached. In Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. God is watching. God is paying close attention this morning to how I'm handling his word and how you're listening to it. Have you ever thought about that? I'm, I'm sure there's some people here. I mean, when I was a little kid, this, I didn't have the, I mean, I didn't know this. This wasn't in my thought process. Preaching time was time to snooze if I wasn't sitting next to my dad, right? Because <laughs> he wouldn't let me. God is watching. God is here. God is supervising what's taking place this morning. And of course, God is able to do this in tens of thousands of places at the same time. This is why false prophets are such a stench in God's nostrils and bring such reproach upon his name because they presume to speak for God. And they speak lies. They speak lies in his name. And many readily listen to false prophets, false teachers, and are led astray. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. So Paul says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God. But then the snowball picks up steam. He says next, and in the presence of Christ Jesus. I charge you in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus, our Redeemer, our Lord, is also watching over what takes place today. Think about this. Think about this. What is the basic message of the Bible? I'm saying, like, get really basic. It's the answer, it's the right answer, at least in, in kids' minds in Sunday school. Whatever the question is, the right answer is Jesus, right? Jesus is the basic message of the Bible. God saves sinners through a Redeemer. Our Redeemer is watching this morning. We are in the presence of Christ in the hearing and preaching of God's word because Christ cares about him being proclaimed. There was one uh, preacher a long time ago. Um, I can't remember if it was, it doesn't matter. He said, the heart of all preaching is to preach one Christ by Christ to the praise of Christ. So Jesus 
is in the presence of us today. He's here today. The written word points to the living word, and Christ wants to ensure that, in fact, it is. He's watching. And so our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, is overseeing the preaching and hearing of his word. You remember what Jesus said at the end of each of his letters to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? The very, I, th- I think it's the very last thing he says to each church. And this ought to just cause us to sober up, quite frankly. He says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You're like, well, I have an ear. Okay, is it hearing? This is, Jesus wants us to hear what he's saying. He wants us to hear from his word. But then the snowball picks up steam and he adds, Paul adds an additional thing. He says, in the presence of God and in the presence of Christ Jesus, and then he says, who is to judge the living and the dead? Paul says, I give you this charge in light of judgment. In light of the judgment, in light of the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive what is due to us based on what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. Yesterday in men's Bible study, uh, Gary, who's not here this morning, he reminded us of the warning in James that those who teach will be judged more strictly. He said, not many of you, or James says in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so those who preach ought to do so with great care and reverence and humility. And I'm preaching to myself here, okay? Asking for the Lord's help. Asking for God's almighty help. Jesus said, Matthew 12, 36, I think about this verse often just in in the way that I speak carelessly sometimes, but even more when I preach. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. How much more the careless preaching of God's word. But Jesus also says, cautions people to how they listen. In Luke 8, 18, Jesus said, take care how you hear. How much more the hearing of his word preached. So in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and then the snowball picks up steam again, when Paul says, and in the presence of Christ's appearing in his kingdom, Here, Paul's just urging Timothy to preach with his eye upon the coming of Christ and the consummation of his kingdom. In other words, in the hope and urgency of the appearance of that day. And I go back to what I mentioned earlier. I think I mentioned earlier 1 Peter chapter 5. When Peter's giving exhortation and instruction to pastors and how they're to care for their people. And he says, um, Give oversight to the church, not not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Um, Not to lord it over people, but being good examples. And then he says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I mean, I think Paul's saying, Timothy, when you preach, do it with an eye on the coming chief good shepherd and the establishment, the full establishment of his kingdom. When we consider the spiritual realities, the presence of God, the presence of Christ, the, the, the coming judgment seat of Christ and the appearance of Christ and his kingdom, it becomes evident, I think, that to teach and preach the word of God faithfully is of utmost importance to God and for the good of his church. So let's look at the charge itself, the charge to preach the word. Look at verse 2. So after that, that, those spiritual realities Paul lays out, he says, here's the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. What is it to preach the word? We see that it's important, but we need to understand what it is to preach the word so that you know, is the word being preached here? And so that I know, preaching the word is not just getting up and just talking about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> you should care like almost, when I get up here on Sunday mornings, I mean, if we're together and hanging out and I want to share some funny stories with you, fine. But when I'm preaching, you should care like less than nothing about my opinion. <laughs> right? It should be God's word you want to hear. Is that right? Let's start with the word preach. The Greek word translated preach is keruso, which means to herald or to proclaim or to announce or to publish news and to do so with authority. Long ago, it was very common for a kingdom or, or for a throne to employ heralds who would go from village to village and stand in the village square and announce and publish news. Hear ye, hear ye, right? King James has issued a decree. They were preachers. Not for Christ, but for a kingdom or a king. Preaching is the activity of publishing the news of God's kingdom and its king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching is the activity of publishing news from the king of the universe. It's proclaiming a word from God. It is proclaiming on God's behalf. The person standing in the pulpit indicating by his content or his demeanor that he really doesn't have anything important to say shouldn't be there. We have a book. God has given us his book. And he wants it to be proclaimed. And again, the content to be preached is the word. The word. The definite article. Not a word, but the word. Of course, this means God's authoritative word, the divinely inspired scriptures. Not stories, not my experiences, not my ideas, not the latest pop psychology, you know, strategy or technique. Not my politics, not my, cons not my you know, con not conspiracy theories, none of that. It is the word of God which is to be preached. Now, preaching may touch on some of those things, of course. 
but it is the word that is to be preached. William Perkins was a 17th century pastor from England. And he said the following. He said, Scripture is the exclusive subject of preaching, the only field in which the preacher is to labor. Again, you should want, you should, you should want to hear not my ideas, but God's truth. My ideas might, might maybe give you inspiration for 10 minutes. God's word transforms. God's word is powerful. You should want to hear the truth, not that, that little phrase that we hear more and more now, my truth, whatever that means, right? And for good reason, God's word is powerful. God created the galaxies out of nothing by his word. When Jesus asked his disciples if they were ready to bail on him like the large crowds were, remember Jesus was teaching and it was kind of a hard teaching, someone eating his flesh and drinking his blood, stuff like that, and, and some of the people were like, this is hard, we're out of here. And Jesus said, turned to his disciples and said, are you leaving too? And this is one of Peter's shining moments. And he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I don't have the words of eternal life. No super mega preacher on TV has the words of eternal life. Christ does. We should want to hear his word. The words of eternal life. Furthermore, it is God's word, it's by God's word that we're sanctified, renewed, revived. It is by God's word that we're warned, that we're blessed. It's by God's word that we grow up in maturity. And it's by God's word that we are equipped for every good work. It comes fully loaded. You might ask which, which parts of the word should be preached? All of it, every part of it. God is pretty convinced that the whole scriptures make a whole Christian. God is pretty sure about that. <laughs> that we need all of it. Leviticus, Revelation, I forgot what Genesis and Exodus, all of, in between. All of it. Just before these words that we're looking at this morning, literally two verses before. We're looking at verses one through four of chapter four. If you just go to the last two verses of chapter three, that's exactly what Paul says. He says all scripture is breathed out by God. For Paul, at this time, it would have been the Old Testament and perhaps a few letters that had started to circulate, but it was primarily the Old Testament, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. He said all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be equipped and complete, excuse me, may be complete and equipped for every good work. Jesus said, man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How often should a preacher be prepared to preach? Paul says, be ready in season, and out of season, which is just a way, a way of saying all the time. That doesn't mean that, that, that all a preacher does is preach and that all a church does is hear preaching, but 
The preaching is of such importance, it is so valuable that the preacher needs to be ready in season, out of, you're either in season or out of season, right? So all the time. Charles Spurgeon said, we cannot be strawberry preachers who come but once a year and then are gone again. The preacher is a preacher all the time. There's a story about Martin Lloyd-Jones and his wife on vacation one time and they, were, uh, they went to the small village chapel. And of course, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a very well-known preacher in England at the time and so when he walked in, it was like, whoa, it's, it's him, man, wow. And... Uh, and that he was visiting with some of the parishioners there and perhaps a pastor, I can't remember. But Lloyd-Jones said, would you like me to give the word here today? And they kind of looked at him like, well, gosh, he's on vacation. I don't know if we should, I don't know if we should like have him do that. He should take, take a week off. And his wife looked at them and said, let him. He lives for preaching. He loves preaching Now we're given three examples of what preaching entails. We're, we're told, pre, Paul says to Timothy, preach the word and then he says, in season, out, <clears throat> in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. To reprove means to correct error. That's not popular in our day. Probably it was never popular, I suppose. No one likes to be corrected. No one likes to be told they're wrong. Error? Doesn't everyone have an equally valid opinion about spiritual things? No. Not if God's word is true. Right? So reprove means to correct error. It means to turn people from error. Preaching includes this kind of reproof or correcting error, bad doctrine, faulty beliefs, and so forth. Then Paul says rebuke, which means to sternly warn because of sin. This is an important part of preaching. Not, not calling people out like, hey, I know you're, you know, <laughs> one person like in the back by name. But to address sins that are known to be a struggle for people in the body. There are serious warnings in the scriptures for those who persist in sin. The kinds of warnings that lead to the outer darkness and to a place where there's gnashing of teeth. And so strong words of rebuke need to be preached so people can duly be warned and turn in repentance. This is our good shepherd giving us all that we need to keep us to the end. And then Paul says exhort, which means to summon. A strong call like to faith and obedience or to perseverance and faithfulness or to love and good works. But the faithful preacher is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in a certain manner. It's to be with complete patience and instruction. I was teaching youth group a few weeks ago, and I was going, we were going, th- we were going through Galatians, so I was going through the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about patience, and the kids kind of got a kick, well, at least a couple of them got a kick out of this. I said, you know what they, in the old days, they, they used the word long-suffering. To suffer long Preaching is, the preacher is to preach with great patience and long-suffering and with instruction. The preaching of the word must put a premium on sound doctrine. 
healthy doctrine. Preaching includes instruction and sound doctrine, and you can't read through the New Testament. You cannot read through the New Testament and not see, you see it everywhere. Because of the false teaching that had, had come into the church in different locations, but this elevation of sound doctrine to combat the poisonous doctrine that was infecting some of the churches. When people say, and I've heard this before, I haven't heard it that many times, but I've heard the sentiment before that doctrine divides, I guess that's true because it does differentiate between truth and error, good and bad, right and wrong. And so in a sense, there's a good kind of way in which doctrine divides. Not being nitpicky about every point of like third level importance doctrines. I'm not talking about that. But the kind of doctrine that points out the difference between truth and error. What God is like and what God is not like. Faithful preachers and teachers are called to rightly divide the word of truth. So the charge to preach the word in every season with patience and instruction, that's the charge. Why? Why is this, why is this such an important thing? And we see the reason in verses three and four. And it's urgent reason. Here's what Paul says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why is preaching the word and consequently hearing the word such a weighty and important task? The answer Paul gives is an implicit warning. And I think it describes the time in which we live. I'm not saying that Paul was was prophesying about 2021. I'm not saying that at all. There have been other times in which there is just a mass turning away from what is sound and true among professing believers. I think it aptly describes something we need to be be aware of and cautious, cautious of. And the progression goes like this. People don't naturally tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they look for teachers to scratch their itching ears and tell them the things that they want to hear. When Paul says um, they accumulate teachers to suit their own passions. Here, passion is used in a negative way. It's talking about sinful desires, not being a passionate person, like, which can be used, obviously, positively. So he's saying people look for teachers. They have itching ears. They look for teachers that are going to scratch their ears and tell them what they want to hear naturally. I mean, their sinful desires satisfy their sinful desires. This then leads to turning away from the truth and wandering off into myths. Myths here, fables, tales, fiction, lies, inventions, deception. And what happens when someone wanders away from the truth and doesn't 
come back. They proved they were never one of Christ's sheep. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the voice of another, they will not listen to. Trust me, there are plenty of wolves in sheep's clothing waiting on the edges of the pasture, more than willing to scratch a sheep's itching ears and then later devour them. In Ephesus, where, Paul, or where Timothy was, the ability to accumulate, you know, accumulate more and more teachers to suit your passions was fairly limited. You just were in one town, one city. I mean, it's a large city, but you didn't have the ability to travel around and, like we can today. Now, there's access to countless teachers. Many good, many not. I had a good friend quite a few years ago who, in hindsight, I can see this progression. In the midst of it, you know, you're right in the thick of it. You're trying to, you know, you're trying to plead with them, but in, in hindsight, I can see it. He surrounded himself with teachers, online mostly, who told him what he wanted to hear. Who told him a message that grace is so amazing and so free, which is, which is great news. But, it, but then, he went on, then the teachers went on from there and said, you don't need to forsake your sin. You're saved. God saves sinners. Jesus can be celebrated as a gracious savior without being submitted to as a sovereign Lord. And this friend of mine went off the deep end. Left his wife and kids for another woman. Left his wife for another woman and his kids. And I haven't, I haven't seen him for a while, but it seems like he has shipwrecked his faith. The examples of this are almost endless, right? I mean, you have, you have friends or family members that you know of as well. Christ loves you. And he wants you to be fed with healthy truth, knowledge, and understanding. Not even just kind of a pick-me-up spiritual message, knowledge and understanding that's gonna form your mind and your heart. Christ loves his church. He wants us to know him. He wants us to know his word. He provides his people with shepherds after his own heart who are committed to doing this. He truly is the good and chief shepherd who, lays, who laid his life down and loves his sheep. So how do, we, how do we uphold, support, and honor the ministry of the word here at Real Life Church? And this can be applied not just if you're visiting today, amen, thanks for being here. This can be applied to you if you're visiting too and you don't come back next week, okay. How do, how do we uphold, support, and honor God's word? What I've laid out already is the standard that we need to have for preaching. In application, what I want to do is I want to put the emphasis on those not preaching. So how can we as an entire church uphold and honor faithful preaching? Number one, 
I'm going to go through these relatively quick. Another hour and we'll be out, out of here, okay? I promise. I'm joking. All right. Number one. First, you need to see the treasure that you possess in the scriptures. My guess is those who have a small view of preaching probably also have a very small view of, what, of, of, the, of the power of the scriptures, of, of the Bible. The scriptures are an unfathomable, matchless treasure that God has given us. Psalm chapter 19 says, speaking about God's law or God's word, says, more to be desired are they, God's words, than gold, even much fine gold, all right? We're not talking about like a little nugget, even a lot of pure gold. God's word is more to be desired. That, that was King David's heart, and it ought to be ours. I pray that God gives us this great love for his word and appreciation and a sight to see the unfathomable riches of his word that he's given us. Second, I urge you to come to the scriptures in a posture of humility. Put yourself underneath the scriptures instead of over above them. And here's what I mean. How often and I just, I, I point the finger at me, how often have I elevated myself and sat in judgment on God's word? It's wicked. But I've done it. And the final arbiter of, of what is true is nothing deeper than just how I feel about a passage. That doesn't sit well with me. It's like, well, who are you? Right? You're a nobody. I'm talking about me still, right? But I mean, we'll lump all of us in together. Who are we to talk to God that way and approach his word that way? So we need to humble ourselves underneath God's word. And whatever it says, after we've studied it, after we've tried to get help understanding it, because there are hard things to understand, but after we feel like this really is what the Bible's saying, I'm in. I'm in. He is God, and we are not. Remember, Paul warned, he said, people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. Don't let that be said of you. Number three, demand. I want you to demand. Not be a demanding person, but I want you to demand robust biblical teaching from your pastors and elders here. I want you to want that. There's a story of uh, this preacher a long time ago, and he was preaching, and he got really long-winded. I mean, we go, you know, 45 minutes, maybe. I mean, this guy preached for two hours. And he realized, oh my goodness, I've gone a long time. I am so sorry. And like the whole congregation said, good God, man, keep preaching. Wow. <laughs> they were so hungry. They were being fed so well. I'm not saying we're going to do that. <laughs> but please, 
Long for that. Long for solid, strong, healthy teaching. Number four, pray for those who teach and preach. Paul pleaded for prayer often, and it often had to do with he prayed that the word would go forth, pray that I may have boldness to speak as I ought to speak in Ephesians 6. And so I just, I just beg you, I really do beg you, please pray for me. Pray for Reed. Pray for us. Pray for us. I ask you, pray for me. There's an old uh, Dutch saying, um, a preacher, old Dutch preacher said, he, said he, he like made this deal with his church. And so I want to make it with you today. And I think Reed's in on this too. He said, pray me full and I'll preach you full. Is that a deal? You pray me full and I will gladly preach you full. Number five, listen to preaching, to the preaching of God's word with earnestness, prayerfulness, faith, and a readiness to obey. Again, Jesus said, take care how you hear. I ran across, uh, uh, I I can't remember where where I found it, but uh, it was talking about hearing God's word, and one preacher put it this way, he said, if sermons do not make your heart better, they will make your chains heavier. It's a solemn thing to sit and hear the preaching of God's word and, and, and receive it for your benefit and for the betterment of your heart or to turn away ignorant and uncaring and unfeeling. So please seek the Lord for this kind of earnestness and prayerfulness and faith and readiness to obey when you hear God's word. Amen? Let's honor the faithful preaching of the word of God for his great glory and honor and for our greatest good. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for...